listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Some friends of, well, actually some friends of, of mine and my wife. One year, they bought a motorhome. I mean, it was decked out. This motorhome was long. I guess you would kind of call it an RV. I mean, you live in this thing, you drive, and you can talk to folks in the back. It was a, it was a big deal. And, and they bought this motorhome, and they were going to make a family trip across the U.S. They were going to be leaving. Well, of course, they live down here in, uh, on the eastern coast of Florida, and they came up to, to Georgia where we were at, and they gathered up their kids, and then they were going to set off on this journey that was going to follow the southeastern states and go over into the west through Texas. They were going to hit out through, you know, Colorado and Arizona, and they were going to swing up the, the western coast, and they were going to come across the northern side, and then they were coming back to a summer vacation. I mean, it was going to be them in tight quarters for like a whole two months. They were going to be gone. Well, I don't know how long they were going. It was a long time. And I remember thinking, as they were packing up and leaving, I remember thinking to myself, man, I sure hate to drive, have to drive that far. That was just after a while. But you know what? The, the, the father was going to be doing the driving. But just the notion of having to ride around in that thing for over a month just really didn't sit well with me. Of course, some of y'all were going, yes, please sign me up. Let me go. I'll do the driving. You can sleep. Well, I just remember that being thinking, man, that's such a long journey. But what's going to be cool about it is they're going to get to see a lot of really neat things. And they did. They saw a lot of really neat things. They brought stuff back for us toward the end of the summer. It was really cool. Uh, I don't think neither my wife or I grew up in, in household. We, we just didn't do those long vacations. You know, we would take the weekend off and things of that nature. So that was kind of foreign to me. So even now, we don't really go on really long journeys. Uh, last summer, we took the longest journey of our family's life. We went to Washington, D.C. That was a long ride. It took us two days to get there because of the pace we travel and the way we like to go. But I can tell you this, it was a whole lot of fun. Being gone, being that far away, just enjoying one another and not really feeling like we had a schedule to keep. What I want to do now as we embark on this season after Thanksgiving, this, this time we know as Advent, we, we want to focus on the season, but at the same time, we want to think about the days beyond the season of Advent. And so I thought about it, prayed about it, and considered, you know what, we, we could go on a long journey together if we wanted to. You know, you would say, well, we just got out of Ephesians. That was 27 weeks. Yeah, that, that wasn't. That's just 27 weeks. We, we, could, we could go on a long journey if we wanted to. Back, back in, I want to say, 2012, if you were a part of this church back then, we went on a really long journey. We started in 1 Samuel, and, and, and we followed all the way through the end of 1 Samuel. When we got to the end of 1 Samuel, we said, hey, you know what? We're, we're right here at the cliffhanger. Why don't we just jump on to 2 Samuel? We spent about two years, year and a half in the book of Samuel. And some of y'all may be going, yeah, I remember it was a, it was a long way, way out there and a long way back. But we hadn't done that in a long time. In fact, we haven't been in and around the Gospels since 2015. We took a little short journey in the book of Mark, and, and we enjoyed that time together, but I thought, you know what, it's, it's time for us to go on a long journey. Let, let, let's go on a long trip together, and, and let's, just, let's just throw the schedule out the window, okay? Just, just imagine we're rolling down the window, and we're throwing the schedule out. We, we, we have no anticipation of where we're going to be and when, with one exception, I can virtually guarantee you that around December the 27th, we're going to be at Luke chapter 2. I can tell you that. But apart from that, let's just say, you know what, we're going to throw, we're going to throw our schedules to the wind, and we're just going to enjoy a journey together 
in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, you might not know, is the longest book in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Next to Luke comes the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew has more chapters, but Luke has more verses in total. And the third longest book in the New Testament is the book of Acts. You put those two together because we believe the same author wrote both books, and you have over 27% of the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts making the author of those two books the largest contributor to the New Testament. And you say, wait a minute, I thought that was Paul. He wrote more items. But the author of Luke, Acts, provided the most words, over 27%. Very important. And I want us to take a journey in the Gospel of Luke I want us to explore everything that we can find and and let's dig out the nuggets that we come. Let's take little side roads that that we might not would have taken if we were on an interstate journey with with our focus on getting from point A to point B. Let's enjoy Route 66. Let's pull off and, and enjoy some of the little towns, the little quaint places that we might find some things we may have overlooked in journeys past, and let's just watch our Lord. Let's learn from Him, and let's gather everything that God wants us to understand through the gospel called Luke. Now, today, you can just about start a journey by just packing your car and going out and getting into the car and saying, I'm I'm not going to say her name because if I say, hey, her name, she's going to respond to me, and I don't want her to respond, but, but you could say, hey, and then you know what her name is, and then you ask a question, and she'll plot out for you the journey route based on whether you want to go through tolls, or you want to take dirt roads, or you want to take uh, six-lane highways. She'll plot it for you, and when you get close to the turn, she'll tell you to turn left or right and get on this road and prepare for that. You know, it's not been too long ago that you couldn't do that. Not been too long ago that you couldn't just get in the car and go and just shout into the air, hey, tell me how to get there. You would just be looking at your family going, we thought you were taking care of that before we got in the car. Hopefully, you would have bought your maps and spread them out and highlighted your journey. You might have even refolded them back so that only your journey and the little highlighted marks are showing and and knowing that you'll never be able to fold that map back into its original form. It's just the way it used to be. And some of the teenagers are going, really? Yes. And we had cords connected to our phones that hung on walls with little rotor dials that you had to turn. It was an amazing time. We would plot a a trip, we would take our map, we would know where we're going, and we would follow that route. So before we get going today, before we we get on our journey of of the Gospel of Luke, and and we're going to start, but before we really get the gears grinding, before we get the wheels turning too fast, let's back up. And let the author of this gospel give us a little bit of an idea about some things we need to be thinking about throughout our whole journey. It's important. It's going to seem like it's a throwaway section. Yeah, that re- there really wasn't much to that. But you got to remember, if it's here, God intended it. Even if the author didn't realize God was intending it, it's here for a reason. And we want to pay close attention before we start our journey, before we get going. Let's look at Luke chapter number one, verses one through four. The author says, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, 
having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. It's a preface, if you will. It's the beginnings of a, of a document that has a purpose, and it sounds a lot like what you would find if you lived in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, and you came across a history book, or you came across a, a reference book of sort, you would open it up, and in the first paragraph, you would find a little preface. You would find a, a, a little statement telling you as the reader what you can expect from this work and where this author has gotten the material in which he or she, most of the time he, is writing. And so this is very common in the Greek world, but it's a little strange to us, these things, these details we might discover differently in our modern times. But what the author is telling us is what we can expect moving forward. Why is he doing what he's doing and what we can expect from him as he moves forward in this account that he's laying before us. So let's look at some of these things about this gospel that might help us as we move forward into this long journey. So let's just call it, what's up with Luke's gospel? What's going on here that we can gather? Well, the writer of this gospel is the same as the writer of Acts. You say, how do you know it? Well, the, the Greek is almost identical in style between these two works, and both of these works have been dedicated to the same individual. You heard it in verse number three, the most excellent Theophilus. This gospel that was written seems to be book number one of a two-part series in the book of Acts. It's the follow-up, the sequel to the book that we're going to journey through. As I've already said, it makes up over 27% of the New Testament, making these two books the majority or the largest portion of the New Testament by one author. We know from this book that it is not an eyewitness. These are not accounts of a person who is writing about things that he has seen personally in this work. But what we do know is that he was an eyewitness to some of the events happening in the sequel. So we know that those individuals in the sequel had some very hard connection to those in the prequel, if you will. And we know this one was not an eyewitness to everything, but he was highly connected to folks who were. Early church tradition to about 130 AD clearly and consistently identifies the author as Luke. Now, you can't walk away from here saying definitively, we know this author is Luke because he doesn't mention himself anywhere in this work nor the sequel. But as far back as we have documentation close to the apostles, we have consistent identification that the author of this work and the work called Acts is Luke, Greek physician and companion of Paul. Luke was a ministry companion of Paul from his second missionary journey. Now, let's think about the things recorded in the book of Acts. You remember Paul was known as Saul, who got radically converted on his way to Damascus with orders from the Jewish leaders to stomp out anybody, to throw in jail, and to treat as he wanted anyone who claimed Jesus to be the crucified and risen Messiah of the Jews promised in the Old Testament. And on his way to do just that, he ran into the risen Christ, 
who uh, just by nature of his running into him in that very powerful way convinced Paul that he was very much alive and that he needed to follow him because he had a job for him. And so on that Damascus road, that individual Saul of Tarsus became a follower of Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah. And so Paul then went on and began taking journeys with the gospel to people who had never heard it. He took one small journey, came back home, got some uh, supplies, got his refreshment, you know, gave an update to those in leadership in the church of what went, was going on. They decided to go on another journey. And about halfway through this journey in Acts chapter number 16, in a city called Troas, Paul had a vision from the Lord that he was not supposed to go where he wanted to go, but that he was supposed to go across the Aegean Sea into Europe where he had not planned to go because that's where God wanted him. And so Paul was making some major changes to where he was going on his journey, and Luke begins to join me. say, how do you know? Well, in Acts chapter number 16, verse number 10, we see a change in word. See, all the way before that, it was he went and they went and he did and they did. In Acts 16.10, the writer says, and we gathered our stuff and planned to go across to Macedonia. So now all of a sudden, the author is writing from a personal perspective, and most Bible scholars believe that Luke has been with Paul from that point on even all the way to his death because in second timothy paul is writing to timothy his protege the the pastor that he left behind in the city of ephesus while paul is in prison expecting to be executed for his faith he says timothy i need you to bring me some stuff and i need you to come see me because only luke is here with me so luke has been historically identified with this gospel, and Luke is a really tight, very faithful ministry companion of Paul. Paul references Luke as the beloved physician in his letter to the Colossian church in chapter 4, verses 14, the beloved physician. So that tells us that Luke had a side job. He was a doctor. Now, here's something really interesting that I'll tell you that I read in, in, in doing some of this uh, research. I discovered that in that time, many of those specialized jobs like lawyers and physicians and contractors and things of that nature, when, when people needed to have very specialized educations, here's what they would do. They would take their slaves and they would educate them and then they would employ them in the community so that when you were going to the doctor, you were very likely going to a slave of someone in the community who had been educated in that particular field. It was very common for that to be the case. So this one author said that it's very possible that Luke could have been a former slave that got his education through that time as a slave, but has now been freed by his slave owner, being a freed man who has the skills of a physician. Now, it's, nowhere in the text says that that's absolutely the case, but I do find it interesting that there's a large section of high-profile uh, vocations that were slaves. So it's very possible that Luke was a freed slave. But we know that Paul references him as the beloved physician. We know that he's educated, and we know that he's educated highly because the sentence structure and the vocabulary used in both Luke and Acts is some of the best Greek in the entire New Testament. You say, how do you know that? Because somebody who knows Greek better than I do told me that that was the case, and so now I'm telling you. So if you want to know more about that, talk to somebody who knows more about Greek than your pastor does. Luke's gospel is one of the three 
known as the synoptic gospels. This word synoptic, coming out of the Greek into the Latin, has the idea of synopsis. And so you say, well, which of the gospels are called the synoptics? You say, will we ever know this? Maybe on Jeopardy. And it could win you, you know, the chance to be on Final Jeopardy. Okay, so the synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Anybody ever watch Sesame Street? Raise your hand if you ever watched Sesame Street as a kid. Okay, you remember that, that one that, that they had the four blocks, you know, and they had a kid up here and a kid, and then, I, and then they sang this little song, which one of these kids is doing his own thing. You remember, you know, so three of them were doing jumping jacks, and one of them was over picking his nose. You know, it was that one. It was very obvious this is the one who's doing his own thing. Well, that's John. John's doing his own thing. You read the Gospels, and you're going to discover, wow, John's... I mean, it's the same story, but man, he's talking about a bunch of different stuff and his order is all different. And man, I I don't even find some of that over in these other, because John is the one kid doing his own thing. We're not going to, it's okay. God, God ordained that, but John's over here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a great portion of those gospels, there are places where the text will read almost identical. It's, it's almost like the three of them got together and sat around the table and said, okay, what are we going to put here? And they're writing together. Well, here's the thing. We know they didn't. We know they didn't do that. So, well, how in the world did that happen like that? Well, we know the big umbrella says, well, God happened it like that. And, but that's the easy answer. But there is a, an ongoing debate, an ongoing uh, series of, of scholarly approaches that are trying to solve, how did this happen? Well, it seems very likely that Mark wrote his shorter gospel first at the, at the side of Peter, who was sharing those things with Mark, and then somehow Matthew and Luke had access to his gospel or someone that was close to Mark's gospel. And then there's some things that Matthew and Luke share in common. And there's a really interesting argument about how that happened. Bottom line is there were access and some of these things that we find in the gospels seem to have come from a common source that they all knew about or had access to. But the bottom line is Matthew, Mark, and Luke give these synopsis of the same story a lot of it the same stuff but but while mark is is short and trite luke and matthew have some really interesting elements that are unique to them you know why because they were seeking to write for a purpose they had a thought in mind While Mark was writing his gospel in a Roman world, it seems that Matthew took those same texts and and decided he needed to put this in a way that his Jewish brethren would understand it. So you'll find a lot of Jewish references in Matthew and things you won't find in Luke. And it seems as though Luke was writing his gospel to the Greek people. Folks that understood Greek philosophy, that understood that time and that culture, and it seems as though Luke is writing on purpose for a Greek audience. You say, why do you think that? Well, because he's writing it to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus, who was very probably a high figure in the Greek culture. And he's writing to him for the purpose of convincing him and assuring him of the things he was taught. But let's don't get too far before we identify. Who is this Theophilus that Luke seems to be writing to? Well, his name means lover of God, God lover. It seems as though this individual was someone who had come to the faith Possibly by oral tradition being told to him about this figure, Jesus, who was crucified and raised and and that he was the, the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. It seems as though this guy was a, an, a, 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 an elevated individual in the community by his, by his words, your most excellent Theophilus. It was somebody who, who earned and, and, and had the air of respect seems to indicate he was a man of means or power 
or both. Theophilus was probably a fairly new convert to Christianity, and he was probably struggling to find his place in this very Jewish story. In this, in this information that has come from a very specific group of people, the Jews in the Roman world that were allowed to worship their God as they have in ancient times and have their temple and have their priests and all of their ceremonies and their feasts. And we're going to let y'all do that because you're just a, you're a small nation, but you're an ancient nation. And quite frankly, it would be harder for us to rip all of that history from you than it would be just to kind of let you do your thing as long as you also pay attention to Caesar and make sure your taxes are paid on time. And this individual Theophilus very likely had come to hear the message of Jesus crucified, risen, and who was proclaiming entrance into right relationship with God by faith in him, even for Gentiles. Most think that Luke was writing to this Theophilus because as a Gentile, In a brand new circumstance, this new body made up primarily of Jewish believers. Here I am, this outsider Gentile. And and, and am I sure this is right? Because he's risen, but things are getting more difficult for us. Things aren't working out like I thought. I thought he has ascended and was going to come back, but he hasn't come back and things are getting a little hairy and I don't know, have I jumped on the wrong bandwagon? Have I, have I followed the wrong thing? Is this really not for me? And I think that Luke's going, oh, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what I'll do. I'll compile the Jesus story so that you can understand it and that it will convince you that yes, this is for you. And yes, you do keep following by faith. It seems to be Luke's purpose. Because he tells us in these first four verses what he intends to do. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, past to write an orderly account for you, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. What did Luke intend? Luke intended to make a meaningful contribution along with those who had done so before him. Luke intended to make a contribution to this record of the Jesus account in in keeping with those who had done so before him. It's it's the reason why people write books about things that people have written about years and years ago. It's it's because we don't talk like they talked years and years ago. And you could say, well, if we had a better education, then we would, okay, I get that. But but do you really want to make people go back and be re-educated so they can understand the books of old? Or would it be better just to write it in a way that we could understand it? That's why people are continuing to do that. Every day, folks are continuing to add their contribution to things that have been going on and on and on. it's, It's why hairdressers go to the hairdresser conference every year, except to go to the beach, which I know is a big deal, but it, they go, why? Because they need to know how to do the thing that, that everybody wants the thing and then how to twirl it and twist it and color it. And you go, hadn't we been doing that a thousand years? You're like, yeah, but not like we're doing it today. It's why builders continue to come up with new methods and building materials and why new versions of this and that come out because we're just adding a contribution to something for the purpose of the folks that are in this arena. And Luke says, I, 
I just felt that I needed to add a meaningful contribution. We've got all of these other things, but you know what? I, I just, I just believe that I could take some of these things and, and add to it and make it for you specifically, Theophilus, and by default, everyone in that culture that would come with him. He said, well, why would, why would Luke think such a thing? Well, because in the sovereignty of God, he led him in order to think, you know what, I ought, to, I ought to contribute something. God's like, that's exactly right. I want you to. And you know what I think I can do? You know what? I know you can. I've seen to it that you've got the education that you've got. I've seen to it that you've got the cultural linkings that you have. I've seen to it that what you bring to the table is going to sound a whole lot like you. But it's going to be exactly from me. So Luke says, I'm telling you, just to start with, I intend to make a meaningful contribution along with those who did so before me. He goes on to say this, I intend to compile both a robust gospel of written accounts and eyewitness testimonies. He says, I've undertaken to compile a narrative of those that have been those things that have been accomplished among us. Just as those from beginning who were eyewitnesses and ministers, I'm taking these that were before me in as much as those before me have taken this account as a, as a job to do. I'm going to take it and I'm going to merge these, these written traditions that are about. I'm going to take these oral traditions and I'm going to take with that full-blown eyewitness testimony, and I'm going to combine them together into a robust telling of the Jesus story. He, he accomplished that. It's the longest one in the New Testament. But he did it on purpose, and he's bringing all the sources together. Now, when I do for preaching, I have about four like people that I read behind. So if we go into a series, I'll have like four resources, you know, and, 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 and you know why I don't have five? Because I read slow and I'd never get it done. I, I could have six, seven, eight, I could have 10 resources of folks that have spent their life in any one giving, given book or passage of scripture that would be helpful. I can't take a, but, but Luke is saying, I, I'm going to do my best to gather all the sources those of you in college or in graduate school or preparing to go into college, your professors will love you if your bibliography is long and robust because they know that you have done the work of gathering sources. One source can say something all kind of messed up, but if you put others with it, you begin to discover the truth that is found. Luke says, I intend to do what others have done before me and compile like they compiled and hear what they have seen. And I'm going to put it together to make a robust gospel. He also says, number three, Luke intended to utilize thorough research and meticulous fact checking. Been on Facebook or Twitter lately? You, you, you posted something yeah, you know, I've just been thinking, how fun would it be just to take a week and, and just decide to start posting things that are just outlandish, just to see if you could get blocked or get one of those little badges that says, you know, like, like for instance, you know, aliens landed in my backyard last night. I invited them in for leftovers, you know, that kind of, and maybe even take a, a photo of something, just to see, why? Because right now in our I mean, we're fact-checking everything. Everything. You can't say it and, and, and not be fact-checked because you, look, you, we got to know that what this is is true. Well, you know, that's what Luke was doing. I, I want to be meticulous in my research. I, I, I want to be uh, very cautious that I don't take some sort of, 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 of outlandish thing that, that has been said about this or that event. I want to make sure that what I'm compiling is the real thing. And I'm going to utilize thorough research and meticulous fact check. Do you reckon he learned how to be thorough 
when he was learning how to be a physician even in that time period? I feel like he probably was one of the most thorough people in, in, in his friend group. He knows how to be meticulous. He knows what needs to be treated with great care. And I think Luke is saying, I'm going to employ that in my compiling and putting together thorough research, meticulous checking of sources. Number four, Luke said in these verses that he intended to provide an authoritative account that would be trusted and convincing. Verse number three, to to, to write down those things in an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. You know, when when somebody who knows what they're talking about writes something down, we feel very comfortable reading it and going, okay. Back to my example of the resources that I use in my study. There are some that I have, uh, works of people that are from different theological persuasions than I am. They see things differently. They approach things differently biblically than I do. But, but you know, they, they can write some things that are very helpful because they have studied in a particular area. There are authors, as I read through, I'll go, okay, all right, I'll make a little note over there, but I'll put it in a little box or, or in a little bubble. Then I'm saying, okay, that's interesting, And that's neat to hear, but I wonder if anybody else thinks that. So I'll write that down, and I'll set it over here, and I'll get some of the works out that I trust. These are authors that realistically are more in my persuasion. They're folks that I'm more comfortable with. They're folks that are kind of like, you know, Bible teacher heroes of mine, which I know are flawed, and I know make mistakes, but, you know, they make fewer mistakes than everybody else. So I I have them, and I go, what do you think? It's like when your buddy tells you something, you go home and you say, I'm going to ask daddy what he thinks, you know, because daddies know almost everything, right? So you, you, you want to check it and you want to make sure that you're grounded in this. I've got some sources that I look, I go, okay, they said it. And I'm going to take that because I trust their work. I trust their research. And then when I put them together and I hold them side by side, a couple of them, okay, y'all both saying the same thing. Y'all been at this longer than I have. I'm trusting what you're saying. Luke says, I want you, Theophilus, not to be hearing things and wondering. I wonder if that's true. And I, I wonder if this is a correct story that I'm hearing. It seems like it's right, but I'm just not really sure. Luke goes, I want you to have something that you can know got checked and double-checked and triple-checked. And if it's in here, I want you to know to the very best of my ability, I have made sure that this was authentic, and that it is authoritarian. It's carrying the authority that I've done the best job that can be done to make sure these truths are accurate. You know, that's important. It's important that we give care and concern to the things we share. Because there's nothing more important than the story of Jesus. For your life or mine, especially for the one who's never heard. So Luke says, I intend to provide an authoritative account that would be trusted and convincing. And then he didn't say this in the, in the, uh, in the first four verses, but I think probably in the back of his mind, He intended to add his sequel. See, I think that Luke wrote this sometime between 57 and 62 AD. This is almost a generation after Christ was crucified and risen. Almost a full generation. And it's before Paul was executed. And I think Luke... As he's journeying with Paul, as he's traveling throughout the the Palestinian world and the European world, and he's coming across folks that have been in all different places, I think Luke's got his little journal. And I think he's writing down stuff, and I think he's compiling, and I think he's going to the libraries, and I think he's going to the synagogues, and I think he's writing and listening, and oh, there was somebody that saw you, oh, he's got an eyewitness, and I think he would visit with them during this time. And then when Paul was put in prison, 
and, and, and things just kind of slowed down and only Luke is with me, I personally think that Luke just started spreading out his stuff. And he started compiling, and he started writing, and he started researching, and he started fact-checking. And I even think he probably had time to say, Paul, your, your trial's not on the docket for another two months. I'm going to take a quick trip back down to this place or that place and try to see if I can talk to so-and-so. To write down these things, and I think he's probably going, okay, I've got these things here, and this, this is about the life of Jesus. And I'm going to make sure that I, I, I write these things down in this first volume. But boy, have we got some stories to tell about the things Jesus continued to do. Even after he was gone, Paul, this is going to be awesome. You're going to be in it, and I'm going to write it, and it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. I think in the back of his mind, he knew that he was intending to... We've got all this stuff. Boy, I could put this together. It's going to help Theophilus. It's going to help others like him. And, and, and I can put this that God has blessed me with to use. I think that's what he's telling us before we get on this journey. I think Luke is saying, okay, here's my intention. Don't be surprised when the beginning of my story goes farther back than anybody else's. And it will. Don't be surprised when I bring details in that no one else has shared because I had an opportunity to hear from so-and-so. I think he does. Hey, this is going to be a fantastic journey. It's not to, to talk you into faith, but it's to convince you of the faith you've got. Here's what I know, y'all. I know that most everybody who comes here on a weekly basis, week after week after week after week, are followers of Jesus. Should God bring someone in who is lost, by His grace they hear the gospel as I, I pray that you hear it in song, through prayer, and through the Word without question each and every week. But we get together for encouraging and equipping the body. Nothing is going to equip us better than to see our Lord and be convinced of the truth of this story and to follow Him step for step for step. It will build us. It will encourage us. It will convince us more and more and more. And so that's why we're going on this journey. And it'll be a while, and that's okay. We'll take a break uh, here and there. You, you know We'll take a break when we get back from Christmas because guess what? Of all of the, of the elder candidate evaluations that came in, there was not one page that had circled the word disqualified. So you know what that says? That says the body has recognized Michael Shannon as a worthy and qualified individual to serve as an elder in this body. When we get back after Christmas on January the 10th, we're going to install him in a very special time together. So we'll take a break here and there. We'll stop off to get some gas, to get all snacked up and ready, but we're going to follow Luke for a while as we prepare to go. Let me give you some takeaways that I want you to take away from these four verses. Takeaway number one. God's preservation and transmission of His Word is absolutely amazing and warrants exuberant thanksgiving and praise. I wonder how many of us on Thanksgiving Day, as we were thinking about all the things that we were thankful for, I wonder how normal it was for us to think, you know what, I'm thankful for the Word of God. In my lap, on my shelf, on my phone, in the car, in the glove box, and four of them under a, a table somewhere. I'm thankful for God's Word. Do you realize the process of God creating the grand literary phenomenon of all of human history had so many facets, and some of those are Him working with guys who were compiling works that are no longer in existence. God's preservation of his word from there to here is astounding. And it warrants 
our exuberant thanksgiving and praise. Number two, takeaway. There's no place in matters of faith for cutting corners and carelessness. Luke tells us, I'm going to do the hard work. I'm going to make sure that I've done the research and I'm not going to tell something that is just off the cuff, that's just, you know, off the fly. I'm just, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make sure that this is right. Can I just tell you, we need to walk away from here saying, when it comes to the, the things of the faith, there is no room for cutting corners. We got to be solid. We got to be sure. We got to do the hard work. In reality, you could say, well, Karen, is there, is there a place for cutting corners? You know, probably not. Maybe washing your car, if you want to cut a corner, then go ahead. It's your car. But when it comes to things that matters to others, specifically matters of the faith, we got to do the hard work to be dead on to the very best of our ability. Number three, takeaway. Never forget that the gospel invitation, the table of Jesus is open to everyone. Very likely, Theophilus is trying to figure out, do I even really belong here? I'm a, I'm a Gentile. This is a Jewish story. Things are getting hairy. Folks are looking at me and, and maybe even wondering why I'm here. Paul hasn't fixed it in this, in this place that I'm at, and, and there's still a lot of strife, and I just don't know. we got to never forget that the table of Jesus is open to everybody, and we need to do whatever we can to make sure everyone is, has the opportunity to be discipled and walked with by anybody, any one of us. And lastly, connected to that, a commitment to discipleship will move you to go deep and invest heavily in the lives of others. Anybody ever tried to sit down in this era of typing and try to write a handwritten letter? You try to do that in the last few months, couple of years. It's very difficult. You know why? Because you're not conditioned for this so much anymore. You, you've been retrained to do this. But you know this is not as personal as this. And you sit there and you, you, you do and you're like, oh, my hand hurts. And so we don't like to do this. We don't even think well this way. Because then we got to erase when we mess up. And I'd sure rather just delete or uh, highlight the whole line and move it around. And so doing this is hard. But you know, this is impersonal. So when you really want to make an impact, what do you do? You go buy a card, and you pull this out, and you invest. Even though it hurts, even though it's weird, even though it's not what I'm so much used to anymore. Listen, a commitment to discipleship, a, a commitment to making sure that my brother Theophilus is not, he's, He's not struggling. I don't want him to struggle with his place. I don't want him to wonder whether or not he fits. I want him to know. I want him to be certain. I want him to be absolutely sure. And I want to make sure the story that I tell is completely accurate. What was Luke doing? He was simply trying to disciple his brother. And it moved him to go deep. How long must it have taken Luke to do all this work? For what? So that my brother may know and walk with confidence. And, and guess what? All of that work is going to end up reaping out of that one hard-working seed. You and me enjoying a journey and the gospel called Luke. So, let's have a good time on the journey. Let's see some things along the way. And let's learn and come Closer to the one who is the main character so that we might represent him well in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in today. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for Luke. I thank you that wherever it was you found him, you, you brought him out of that and set him in a place where he could come into contact with Paul. Maybe in, the, in, in his educational process, 
Maybe that's where he came across him. Maybe he actually came to faith through Paul's preaching. Maybe it was some other circumstance. We don't know, but we, we do know that you brought him together. We do know that you brought him into the life of this individual known, Theoph- uh, known as Theophilus, and we know that you used him in a very personal, very intentional, very hardworking way to disciple his brother, and you've used him to continue discipling, continue to build your people for centuries. And for that, we're thankful. God, we're thankful that, uh, that in this gospel is one of the most memorable sections that we'll get to in just a few weeks about the coming of your son. We're thankful that at the end of this gospel, we see Jesus ascending with promises to return. We know he's returning, and we know that we have a responsibility to tell others and to communicate the truths of the gospel to them while we wait. And I pray that you'll equip us, you'll encourage us, you'll strengthen us, you'll help us to see our part in your plan. We ask that you'll use us even this week. God, show us the opportunity that we keep missing time and time and time again because we're just not paying attention. Help us to see it. Give us the courage to act. Give us the wisdom to know how to represent your son. And God, we ask that you'll be glorified in the things that we do and say. We love you. We trust you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, amen.